Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctorate in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Dr. Therese Moscardo, who is a Filipina-American licensed clinical psychologist, founder of LA Digital Nomads, and CEO and founder of Exploring Therapy, which is a wellness community that helps people build a life that they don't need a vacation from. She's also been featured in Vice, HuffPost, Women's Health, and Pop Sugar, which is amazing. She shares about toxic productivity, remote work wellness, and overall mental health. Her Her mission is to inspire people to create more healthy, free, and connected lives that they love. And she is a good friend of mine. Thank you, Dr. (laughs) Therese, for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Kim. I am so thrilled to be having this conversation together with you. Absolutely. And actually, we were on an IG Live a couple months ago, right? Yeah, that was that was a fun conversation. It was. And we talked on a, 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 the similar topic, and I think it's so pertinent to where we are right now in our world that I wanted to bring you back on to talk on the podcast um, because I, I know I struggle with toxic productivity, um, and I know that that's something that you specialize in. So mm-hmm. if we could just start by sharing with everyone, what is toxic productivity? So toxic productivity is, in a nutshell, prioritizing productivity over people. And I actually have kind of evolved the definition now uh, to something I think captures it even more, which is it's also prioritizing productivity over peace. So mm-hmm. when I say people, I mean other people and, of course, yourself. And then peace, that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, and then there's three basic components of toxic productivity, if you remember Dr. Kim. So Uh, The first one is working to the extent that it harms your health or personal relationships. And the second is having unrealistic expectations for yourself and ignoring important information. For example, expecting yourself to work exactly the same amount that you did before the pandemic started. That would be ignoring really important information, such as the current trauma that people are experiencing. And then the last characteristic of toxic productivity is having difficulty with rest or stillness. And I know a lot of people listening may relate to this because I know it's the thing that people respond to a lot when I'm talking about this, because you can struggle with feeling guilty or just not being able to settle or slow down uh, because you don't give yourself permission to ever take a break. Yeah. Well, you you literally defined me in a nutshell. I think I'm guilty <laughs> of all three of those things. <laughs> Uh-oh. You know? So what makes me more susceptible or anyone more susceptible to this toxic productivity? Honestly, I don't think toxic productivity is so much a reflection of individual 
weaknesses or being susceptible, I think it's a reflection of culture. And when you think about even like the beginning of the, uh, the USA, the United States, it started with puritanical values. And what were those values? Well, hard work, um, being very frugal. And I think that those values kind of, they really helped form the identity of our country. But at this stage where now we live in a world where we um, obsess about hustle culture and we're always on the go, we've kind of taken some values that were healthy and they've mutated into kind of this like very unhealthy way of existing. And so a lot of the times what happens is that many of us identify our own self-worth with what we produce, but they're Mm -hmm. not the same thing. Um, However, when you live in that space of thinking that your identity is around what you do, well, then that's when unhealthy boundaries start to creep in and burnout, like, like we've talked about before. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that's so true. And, you know, I, like I said, I know I suffer from it. uh, And Mm -hmm. I know I, (laughs) I love always hearing your advice, because it always kind of puts me in a different mindset. So what are some some red flags people can look out to see if they're getting stuck in this type of mindset? So some easy to notice red flags would be, for example, overlooking your health. And one example that I joke with with people, but also is sadly very relatable, is when people don't go to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom. That is like Mm. one of the most subtle ways that you can recognize that you're not prioritizing your health because you got to finish sending that email or you got to finish, you know, uh, that presentation. So overlooking health, it can also include things like not making your doctor's appointments on time or just pushing things off. Along those lines, another red flag would be minimizing your own needs. So not prioritizing the things that make you feel healthy and whole. Um, and, and one of the ways that shows up as well is um, not prioritizing time with family and friends. And so another red flag is getting complaints from your family and friends. They don't see you or you're working all the time. It might start off very kind of light and joking at first, but then it can get Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, it can get really intense couples fighting, um, you know, kids holding grudges against their parents for feeling, for making those children feel neglected. Um, and then lastly, within yourself, just noticing mood shifts. So if the work that you previously love to do no longer brings you joy, if you find yourself feeling irritable, if you notice symptoms of depression, like withdrawal, low self-esteem, low self-worth, low energy, all of these things can be a little indicator that it's time for a change and that we're, uh, if we don't change something, we're headed into an unhealthy place with our relationship with productivity. Wow. Yeah, that is that is very true. Uh, and those definitely, I think, are really easy things that people can look out for as those red flags um, to notice in themselves. You know, those are pretty mm-hmm. practical ways that they can identify those things in their own lives. So let me ask you this. So what is the dangers to having toxic productivity? What And we talk about burnout, but if you can expand on that, that would be great. Absolutely. So burnout is the one that I think we're seeing really impact culture as a whole. And what that means is that people are hitting a, a, a wall, an emotional wall, a physical wall where either their bodies just give out. So they, um, have very low energy fatigue, have difficulty getting out of bed, um, or even more severe symptoms like, uh, symptoms that 
are along the lines of anxiety. So digestive problems, headaches, body aches, um, and also just the inability to focus and concentrate on things. The other thing that I think is really dangerous about toxic productivity is it falsely advertises. It tells you, or it makes you believe that if you just work a little bit more, then you will have made it. Right. But I have talked with so many people who work themselves until they're sick and they make a lot of money or they have the, you know, really fancy job title or whatever, and they still feel meaningless. And that's a really scary place to be because when you've put all your eggs in the productivity basket and you feel like it hasn't paid off the way you thought, that can be really, really scary and make you really question everything in your life. Um, yeah. And then from the from the other side of things, so that's kind of talking about how it impacts us individually. On the other side, on the industry side, the ironic part is that when we create an unhealthy environment for workers, we lose actual productivity. So right. when when they're working to death, they are not actually able to hit goals as effectively as they would when they're taking breaks. So inevitably there's a loss of a workforce, high turnover. Um, It costs in people and it costs in actual dollars, right? Because um, people aren't able to, to give from a place of abundance. They're literally running on fumes. Right. Yeah. And I know you've talked about in the past too, that self-care or a type of self-care is saying no, being still, setting boundaries, putting less on your plate, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, and it is. And I've actually realized that myself, like I said, since I tend to err on this side and mm-hmm. I have to really be intentional and mindful to stop and slow down and shift my priorities and mm-hmm. really take that self-care in and say, no, I'm not going to do all that today because if I do that, then, you know, A, B, C, and D will happen. Like you said to myself, or I'm not putting in a hundred percent to my work and therefore the work isn't, the quality of my work isn't as good. Right. Right. By the way, of course, I only talk about this, Dr. Kim, because I've been there too. So you're not alone. <laughs> That's good to know. And honestly, I, I feel like it's, like you said, it's such a cultural um, way that our society functions these days, you know, mm-hmm. that people define themselves, you know, through their work or being busy. I know when, you know, I would drop my kids off at school and I'd run into another mom and she would ask mm-hmm. me, you know, how are you feeling today? And I would respond, oh, I'm really good. I'm really busy you know, and that would be almost like a a rite of passage. Like if I'm not busy, then that must mean that I have nothing going on. Therefore I'm not important or. Isn't that so messed up that we think that way? Yes. Yes. Or that I'm, you know, quote unquote lazy. I know that's something that there's a stigma about and there, Mm -hmm. there is, there has been, I feel like a stigma to stillness and some people relate stillness to laziness. Will you go into that Mm -hmm. and why that's not true? Oh gosh, yes. There's so much to to share here and so I want to kind of hit I think the points that that stand out to me. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we our country the US started uh, built upon the foundational values of hard work, responsibility, self-control, industriousness, everything that um came from that puritanical movement. And so I think that um we associated stillness with not doing things that, at least at that time, made us, quote unquote, closer to God, 
right? Right. But, but the truth is that rest is powerful. And I like to suggest to people that it, think of it as like working out and building muscles. When you're building muscle, I don't know if this is something listeners are familiar with, but when you're working out and trying to grow your muscles, you cannot continuously pump iron until your muscles are exhausted. It actually harms the growth of muscle. So what is essential to building muscle is not the exertion. It's actually the rest in between. So this is where I think this, this analogy is so important because stillness is actually essential for productivity. Stillness is a necessity for productivity. And so, you know, there's lots of ways to kind of try to, to work on building a healthier relationship with stillness. But Dr. Kim, you mentioned something in passing that I think is so important, which is practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness can mm-hmm. help us connect to ourselves in the present moment better. Um, getting some accountability for having healthier, um, healthier, having a healthier relationship with work is really important. Being able to understand a few clear boundaries I call them baseline boundaries is helpful as well. So a baseline boundary, for example, might be we're not going to work from the dinner table. I'm not going to have my cell phone at the dinner table, or um, I don't work this many of more than this many hours per week, or I eat at least this many meals per day. So baseline boundaries can help you to get started when you're, when you're trying to have a healthier relationship with, with rest and stillness, but it's not easy. And I think we take for granted that these things are embedded into the fabric of not just who we are, but our entire society. And I, I kind of firsthand learned this because I moved out of the U S to Portugal and I realized that, Oh my gosh, not everyone works all day long, takes no vacation, doesn't take breaks or eats their lunch standing up at their desk. And so it's great to kind of get away, to take breaks, to take your vacations, to to get in a change of environment as well. And that perspective can be so helpful when you're struggling with, with giving yourself time for stillness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. And, and like you said, there are, you know, different cultures out there that do have a different mindset about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, to have, to, to live in a culture that is almost pro <laughs> toxic productivity, um, mm-hmm. can make it really mm-hmm. difficult. Like you said, because people sometimes base their identities around it. Um, so how can we get people to shift that, you know, that they're more than their work, they're more than their to-do list, um, you know, and to accept, you know, being mindful about slowing down, saying no and, and things like that. Cause I know it's hard just from personal experience. I know it's hard, but what do you suggest people can do to start going in that direction? Uh, so we talked about setting boundaries, which I think is a lifelong process. I think it's really helpful and obviously uh, shameless plug, not so shameless plug for therapy. I think therapy is a great way to increase our self-awareness. I think we need to stop the unhealthy narratives when they enter our psyche, our world. Um, and, and one of the ways to do that is to stop romanticizing hustle culture. Yeah. Um, hustle culture is a double-edged sword. I think that there's a time and a place for working really hard. I think there are sprints that we can take as entrepreneurs and as workers where, you know, there's seasons where we just have to work harder than others. But there's so much romanticizing of hustle culture that we do. You know, all of the little um, Instagram snippets and things that say like, no pain, no gain, and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, really start to trickle into our, our worldview. And so stop romanticizing that and be aware of influencers that 
you're following, who might actually be encouraging you to have an unhealthy relationship with your body, with your work, um, and, and, and be harming your relationships with other people because of that. And just one small thing I think is helpful is this doesn't have to be like some big life changing stuff that you do in order to heal from toxic productivity. Um, noticing patterns and making small changes is kind of the, the most impactful and, um, overlooked thing that we can do to create change. And this is also, again, why I love therapy, because I think therapy is basically just noticing subtle patterns and making small changes and then coming back again and trying to see what works and what doesn't work. Um, and so noticing the spaces where toxic productivity is seeping in. So that could be, you know, maybe you're not taking your lunch breaks. Maybe you start by taking a lunch break a couple days a week. It's a small change and you might think it's not effective, but it will help pave the way for you to do something bigger, like take your vacation days for once. Um, so it's not easy, but it will be easier if the changes that you start to make are smaller changes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I'm all about taking baby steps, you know, whether it's with my clients, myself, you know, teaching my children that, uh, I'm all about, you know, the, the smallest steps make the biggest change as far as I'm concerned. You know, like you said, Mm -hmm. you're, you're on that path and that's what you need to, you know, what you can focus on and reward yourself for saying, I went to the bathroom today, you know, yes, you know totally. before lunch, you know, there has been times where I, I have, I'm guilty. Like I said, I've, you know, worked a lot in schools, you know, and all of a sudden it'll be mm-hmm. three o'clock and the bell rings at the end of the day. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I never took a break, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like you said, setting, setting small measurable goals that are attainable that you can, you know, look towards, you know, uh, you know, in, in small changes and small steps really mm-hmm. is very beneficial. And it'll, like you said, pay off in the long run. And it's not about making a big, huge life change because that's going to be harder to to maintain. But if you make those small steps along the way, it's going to be easier to maintain, you know, in the future, you know, as an as an, a lifestyle change. Exactly. And I I'm I for one am a person that gets overwhelmed by really big steps. I think many of us do. There's this book that I love, by the way. I don't know if I've I've shared it with you before, Dr. Kim, but it's called One Small Step Can Change Your Life by Dr. Robert Maurer. And okay. Dr. Maurer talks all about the psychology of small steps and how we essentially do better when we learn to bypass the amygdala response that creates fear and anxiety. So, you know, it's the difference between saying, I'm going to work out for three hours today and I'm going to go outside and take a 10 minute walk, right? One sounds a lot less intimidating and studies show that we'll actually go further and do more when we start with a step that's not intimidating. When when, the author calls it, I think, a laughably small step. So, um, one of the, one of the things that I'm going to suggest to listeners too, if they're like, okay, this is feeling a little big and daunting for me. How can I, how can I actually change my mindset? It could be something like an affirmation and an affirmation that I think is really effective is being busy. Isn't an achievement being busy, busy, isn't an accomplishment, right? Just repeating that in your head or even just catching yourself when you're, when you're falling into the trap of destination addiction, which is that belief that happiness exists on the other side of some accomplishment. So like, I'll be happy when I make this much money or I'll be happy when I hit this goal. And instead shifting to a question like, 
what can I do right now to elevate my mood or my energy level? So it's just something very small. It's asking yourself a question, but when it gets you to kind of break the patterns of how you're thinking, right? And, and it gets you to break the idea that busyness is a big old accomplishment or that you're better because you've achieved something. It, it really does help shift everything down the road. Wow. That was so powerful. I want, I, I wish you could just <laughs> say that again, over and over again. I wish you could be like my morning affirmation, you know, accountability partner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down um, for it. Absolutely. We all need one. <laughs> Um, but the whole idea around the destination addiction, all of that, wow, that was that was that was really powerful. So thank you. I think everyone's gonna benefit from that. That book sounds great. And you know, like you said, when I'm making my to-do list in the morning, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll put on, you know, a, a lot of things that I I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then but the more I put on, the more it overwhelms me, and then I end up accomplishing yeah. a lot less because yeah. I'm just so intimidated by my to-do list. And so mm-hmm. I like your idea of doing it in small increments or, mm-hmm. you know, just putting a few things on and then great. If it's noon and I still have a lot of time left in my day to accomplish more, I'll add to mm-hmm. it, but I don't have to put it all on at the beginning. Well, and that's where the kind of mental reward comes in because studies show that I think it's like every day we can usually, um, not do more, or I'm sorry, let me say it again. Studies show that every day we can't focus on more than two general big tasks. And so if we try to add more than two to the list, chances are we won't get them accomplished. And so if you set your to-do list with 10 things, you're going to inevitably feel like you failed. But if you focus on one or two, then you're doing the same amount of work, but you feel like you succeeded. Or maybe you add on a third or a fourth because you got motivation from achieving at least those two initial things. So you're, you're rewarding yourself more when you have more realistic goals. And, uh, so why not do that? Right? Like, why would you hurt yourself? Why would you kill yourself over, over a to-do list that is impossible and feel like a failure all the time when you don't have to? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I love that. Uh, and there has been, like you said, a lot of research around that. So it's hard to get into that, you know, it's, it's especially if, if you're not used to that, you know, you almost have to kind of re retrain your mind, you know, if you will. Um, yeah. But let's let's talk about one other thing that I know mm-hmm. I struggle with and I think is is hard. I've, I've heard a lot of my friends and, and clients also struggle with this as well. And I'd love your tips on it. We talked about, you know, setting boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. Saying no is setting a boundary, you know, being a people pleaser, if you will, um, which I know I, I am. You know, I always want to say yes to people because I feel like, you know, I want to help and, you know, just be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But how can people set a boundary and how can people say no? Because um, like I said, I feel like that's that's mm-hmm. hard. That sometimes doesn't come easy for people. Yeah, it doesn't come easy for me. So I think and a lot of people share with me that they feel the same way. One of the places I think is important to start is to identify any people-pleasing behaviors or in the mental health world, we use the word codependent behaviors uh, within yourself. And just in a nutshell, these types of behaviors that are people-pleasing in nature come from when we're rewarded for doing good things for other people. And that's not bad in and of itself, but the problem is when it goes too far and then suddenly we kind of forsake our own well-being because we're doing things that uh, we believe are important um, in helping other people. So the balance gets thrown off. 
right? And and you can right. see how that can kind of get really bad because then you're putting everybody else's needs before yours. So I think identifying those people-pleasing behaviors and codependent beliefs is really important. And to understand if that's you, there are ways that you can shift away from that kind of pattern of thinking, right? Um, I also think that it's important to be intentional about our values in terms of how we're, we're living and existing in the world. So, you know, looking at what you celebrate can really help us, help you to identify, um, where your values are. And you can also use it to check yourself if you're living in a way that's not aligned with your values. So for example, are you celebrating busyness, right? Do you tell someone, Oh my gosh, you pulled it out all night or good job. Or do you celebrate the things that align with your values? When was the last time you cheered someone on for taking a break or you chilled yourself on for taking, you know, a little coffee break in the afternoon, you know, celebrate the things that that actually align with the person that you want to be and the things that you value. And in my world, I've decided that rest and stillness is a value. And so that, that helps me to live that way more intentionally and catch myself when I'm not right. When I'm celebrating the wrong things. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I'm really, I, I do get so inspired every time I talk to you <laughs> thinking oh, <laughs> to, to reshift my, my values. Um, I love that. And, you know, like I said, my priorities and, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm doing for myself versus what I'm doing for others. And just, you know, really, really take that in, you know, really taking a moment to sit back and, analyze that about your own self or your own life, um, mm-hmm. I think is, is really a good first step for people. Yeah. And this is where just, sorry to circle. I didn't really circle back to kind of the initial question, which was about saying no. Um, a lot of times we have this false belief, this thought distortion, as we would say, where we think that saying no makes us mean or makes us bad or makes us worthless. And that might sound really extreme, but you'd be surprised how often we are kind of operating out of that belief. So to be able to redefine what no means, like seeing no as an essential step towards your health and wellness wellness, and being able to say no as a, well, let me put it this way. You can celebrate when you're able to say no. You can celebrate what no means for you. Because when you say no to the wrong things, you're also creating space to say yes to the right things. So yeah. like for you, Dr. Kim, you know, we've talked about how you're saying no to certain types of work so that you can say yes to things that matter to you, like being more present with your family and your loved ones. And I think that's really crucial. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And I love that. I, I want to put that on my wall or on my mirror, <laughs> you know, in the morning, um, you know, because it is, it is such a great reminder. And like I said, it is hard to do and it does take some practice and I just don't want mm-hmm. anyone to feel discouraged if they're like me that, you know, that's hard to do. It definitely takes mm-hmm. practice and it definitely takes time to, um, to do it and to feel good about it. So, yeah. you know, just starting it and trying it is, is mm-hmm. the first step. And then the more you do it, the, the easier it'll be. Um, right. You know, and, and the better for you. So, yeah, I use the analogy of, um, when you're trying to break old patterns and create new, healthier habits, it's like going from, uh, well, it's like the equivalent of trying to create a road in the forest. Right. And, and so there's a lot of stuff you got to get out of the way and it takes a lot of repetition over that road to actually carve a path that's nice and smooth. Um, and that's what you're doing when you're trying to break 
the habit of the mindset of toxic productivity is your brain is used to thinking one way. It's very, that path is very well-worn. So it's very used to thinking in that way. And now you're trying to do something completely different and it takes effort at first and it's going to go slow at first, but the more you repeat it, the easier it will get. Yeah, I I totally agree. I completely agree. Well, on that note, let me ask you for some uh, possibly easy, simple, quick ways uh, for someone to how how they can prevent burnout and how they Mm -hmm. can rest and rejuvenate throughout their day. Absolutely. Um, So one of the biggest ways to prevent burnout is to stay connected with your purpose. So, you know, if you're just making widgets all day and and you just see this one tiny step of the process and you don't know where it's going, inevitably that's going to feel less meaningful for you than when you realize that what you're doing for work is benefiting people in some way or changing the world in some significant way. So really remind yourself of your purpose and no matter, you can do this no matter what you do for work, right? Whether you're a teacher or you're, um, you know, you work in a restaurant or a coffee shop, find what your purpose is in that space. So the purpose is not just to make money. The purpose is perhaps the purpose is you're providing for your family or the purpose is freedom for you, or your purpose is lifting up other people in when they're having a bad day. It doesn't matter, but it's, it's gotta be something that matters to you. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, kind of going back to the goal setting thing, making sure that you're setting realistic goals and then adjusting your goals when they're not realistic. That's the, that's the other part. So just because you set a goal doesn't mean you're married to it and you have to stick to it. Even if, even if it hurts you, be willing to be flexible and, and be willing to, to change it if it's not working for you. And then also something we alluded to earlier is just reframing what it means to rest and take breaks. So um, I tell the folks I speak to a lot, rest is not a four-letter word. <laughs> rest is not something just for weak people. It's something that we need, and it's proven by study after study. So reframe it to be vital to your productivity and reframe it as a necessary tool. And um, actually put it in your calendar if you need to. So if you don't schedule your breaks... Um, put them in and treat them like the sacred time that they are. Um, That's a really small thing that you can do that can help you achieve the goal of taking breaks more often as well if you struggle with that. Yeah, I love that. And actually, I've, I I don't necessarily schedule it in, but I definitely mm-hmm. make it a priority throughout my day to, like you said earlier, you know, going and having an afternoon coffee, you know, outside, mm-hmm. you know, taking a little walk around the neighborhood for five minutes. It doesn't have to be a long drawn out thing. You know, you don't need to mm-hmm. regularly go to the spa and get, you know, a, a massage or a pedicure, a manicure. Like people, that you know, when they think of self-care, they think, oh, mm-hmm. I need to make it this big production. It doesn't have to be. It could be just a 10 minute rest where you just lay on your bed and mm-hmm. close your eyes for a few minutes or, you know, lock your office door if you're at work and, you know, whatever the case may yes. be, you know, getting fresh air, getting some coffee, you know, whatever the case is, um, th- those are all self-care too. And they can be implemented quite frequently throughout your day. That's actually such a good point, Dr. Kim, because I think that we underestimate the power of five minutes. We underestimate the power of 60 seconds in terms of what it can do for our well-being, but 60 seconds of mindfulness can completely rewire your brain into a better place. Um, taking a walk for five minutes, uh, again, studies show that that has a really significant impact on our sense of well-being and our happiness. So don't 
underestimate what you can do in a minute or five minutes if you have it, because there's a lot that you can do and it can really change. Um, it can really change up how your day is going for the better. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Oh, Dr. Therese, thank you so much. I love talking to you. You are so wise and just have so many um, practical ways that people can take care of themselves. Where can people find you for more for more information? Oh, thank you so much for the kind words. I think you're amazing. Um, So people can connect with me on my website, which is exploringtherapy.com or on Instagram at exploring.therapy. And I think that kind of covers our bases. But um, please, if if anyone's listened and they found this helpful, I'd love to hear from you and, and hear what you thought of this episode. Yes. Wonderful. Well, I know people are going to love it. I know it's going to be so helpful for so many, including myself. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Kim. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.